Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we wrap up our series Anticipation. And as we wrap up that consideration of what we anticipate, I'd like to do a little poll. As you think tonight about what's coming tomorrow, what are you anticipating? Which holiday are you anticipating? There's several different answers you could provide. And go ahead and provide one of them in the chat. I have my friend here, Pumpkin Man. He's anticipating this week of festivities, and he and I would like to know, what is it that you're anticipating? We anticipate lots of things. We anticipate what we should celebrate, what we shouldn't. We anticipate not just a holiday coming, but what comes after it, what holidays are ahead for us. And last night at church, I was having a conversation with someone in the, the Christmas choir that's formed this year. I'm so excited about that. And... The conversation wrapped around how singing Christmas carols, preparing for the Christmas events that we have coming up, is leading to more anticipation of the celebration of Christmas and, and how exciting that is that it's almost here and why can't it be here already? That's the sort of anticipation we should have for the things that God calls us to anticipate. Okay, enough of that. Let me come back for a second to what you've been writing in the chat. What, what did you write down? Did you write down Halloween? Or did you write down Reformation Day? There's a lot of controversy over what we should celebrate on October 31st because some people, for example, think we shouldn't celebrate Reformation Day because it's celebrating the disunity of the church, the way the church broke up into splinters. Others of us, and I would count myself as one of those, think that we should celebrate Reformation Day joyfully, not because we celebrate that the church is broken into different pieces or that we don't currently have full fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church, but rather because we celebrate heroes of the faith who, in their different circumstances, have stood firm for the truth of God's word, just like we're called to do today, and just like Peter is going to call us to in, at the end of his letter. Same goes for Halloween. Lots of controversy. Some people say, well, I'm anticipating candy and fun costumes and, and joyful festivities. Others say, well, it's really about anticipating tapping into the dark side of the spiritual realm and doing all kinds of things that are forbidden by God. Indeed, some people do embrace that part of Halloween. We're not going to solve that problem tonight, but it does show how there's so much confusion, even on something as simple as what are you going to celebrate on a given day of the year? How much more so in our lives? With everything going on and all the uncertainty in the world, do we find ourselves wrapped up in confusion? And as we wrap up our series tonight, Peter wants us to address that head on because he says, you're going to be in confusion. That's not a new thing in the 21st century. You're going to be in confusion. And you need to know what you're going to root yourself in. And that's our calling as Christians. And so let's come before our God and ask that he would help us to do that, even tonight as we study his word. And then be those who show that conviction and that testimony of truth to those around us. Let's pray. Father, there is so much confusion in the world, so much uncertainty. Would you help us to be those who stand firm in the truth? Would you help us to run from that which is false? To run from that which would lead us astray or lead others astray. To run from controversies that are needless. To run from things that distract and ensnare. And to run more and more towards you and your word. Lord, sometimes it's hard. We hear people try to explain what we should anticipate. And it, it just makes us more confused. 
It makes us feel like we need to take sides on different things about prophecy and so on. But Lord, would you help us to keep our anticipation squarely where you have called it to be? We pray in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Confusion can throw us off, and that's what we see as we turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 15. We looked at the first part of this verse last week, so let's just review that. Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, and this is where we're going to pick up this week, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. There's a lot that Peter puts in there, but what he wants us to understand, what he wants the people he's writing initially to understand, but it's true throughout all ages, is that we live in a misinformation age. We hear that term a lot today because it seems like it can go so fast. In this social media era, in the era that allows us to have live streaming sermons on on Monday night or on Sunday night or this week at Little Hills and all the other neat things that we get to do as a ministry, it also lets all kinds of things that are false spread, all kinds of things that cause fear that isn't useful, all kinds of things that confuse people and lead them astray. We saw that a couple weeks ago now with the hospital bombing in Gaza and, and how the initial reports came out and they were being shaped a certain way to imply that, that Israel had attacked this hospital and killed hundreds of people. As people on the internet on the other side use the power of the internet to to tear into the information that was available, to look at satellite data and so on, though, what did they find? They found that the information didn't fit. That the hospital building was still standing. It appeared to be an attack on the parking lot. And it appeared not to match the sort of signature of an explosion that would be left by the bombs that Israel uses and the missiles that Israel uses, but the sort of thing that Hamas, the, the terrorist group in control of Gaza, uses on a regular basis. So in that, we saw sort of a picture of our world at the moment, the, the high-speed misinformation that can go out and the high-speed correction to that information that can happen because everyone has access to the information. All of us have access to God's word as well. And so sometimes we see the high-speed misinformation about God's word and what we should anticipate from it. Maybe even in these unstable times and these world events, the the misinformation as people draw things from God's word and apply it in unhelpful ways. But we also all have access to the tools, the teachers, the resources, the commentaries, that we can do research, that we can find reliable people to listen to, and we can counteract that with God's help. But the question is, what are we doing in that? And we saw in the way that people reacted to that social media situation, some people just wanted to run with the narrative as it first came out because it already fit what they believed. And that's what we do oftentimes with scripture. We, we hear something and it seems to fit how we want scripture to be, not necessarily how it is, not how God wants us to be, be shaped, but it fits the way we're already shaped. And so we run with it and we, we share it on social media. We share it as we're having conversation with our friends and family, we, we share it in the way we live our lives. And we're not going back and actually going to the satellite imagery, the, the actual word of God, and allowing it to correct us. Well, the speed of that is so much faster now, but that was happening then. And, and Peter says, go back to what you actually know. Now, they had to remember what they'd 
heard as apostles like Peter went through town or or when someone read a letter like this, not everyone could have a copy of it that they could pick up themselves or or have it on their phone or or go to a website like our sister ministry grow.faithtree.com and have all kinds of bible resources that kind of thing didn't exist but they remembered it and and their choice was am i going to recall what i've heard about god's word and pull it back up or am i going to run with this new information that fits what i want to believe or what i fear is true same problem just as the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says there, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and truly, when we think about misinformation, there's nothing new under the sun. But what's clear is back then and now, we should be people who hate misinformation. We should not embrace it. And we should not just run with information, even to counter what we think is misinformation, just because this counter information fits our preconceived notions. We should be people of integrity, people that want the truth. People want nothing but the truth. Peter knows that we need an anchor. God's our anchor. And his word is our anchor. And, and as we come before his word with the help of the Holy Spirit, that anchors us. But we, we need to be willing to actually do it and be willing to hear what it says and not simply what we want it to say. Sometimes it's a challenge. And Peter addresses that too. Maybe you think, well, that's true, but I, I don't always know how to understand God's word. Isn't it nice that his word actually says that that's going to be the case. Notice what he says here about Paul, that Paul's written all these things that are wisdom. And as he does this in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. You're not alone if you sometimes struggle to understand God's word. But that's why we seek to encourage each other as the church, why we spend time doing things like we do here on Monday nights, why we gather as the church on Sunday night, why we have Bible study on Tuesday night, why we have these different things. And not just us, it's not a unique Little Hills thing to have these different things. Every good, faithful church should be seeking to do these things. But the key thing is we need to help each other because we're all going to misunderstand things at times. We're not going to be able to wrap our minds around it. And sometimes that's because it's genuinely hard to get our minds around. Sometimes it's simply because our minds don't want to believe what God's word said, no matter how faithful we are, because sometimes it's too revealing to our hearts and where we, we struggle and, and what we wish were true, but isn't. Peter mentions something here that I think is really important about Paul and his letters. He, he refers to what Paul has to say as being the very same things that Peter says. And, and in that, we see a guide on how we approach the truth. So that as there's all this confusion around, all this misinformation, we can not say, okay, I'm, I want to be anchored to God's word, but I'm not sure what to do. We start with that, which is said over and over again in scripture. How often is it that we go and we, we put our emphases on the things that aren't said that often in Scripture or aren't said clearly in Scripture. But there are so many things, the core things that really affect how we live the Christian life, that are said over and over and over again. Peter here has been telling us to be patient. We see a lot of people today and, and throughout history that are impatient for the end of the world and try to, to foretell it or maybe even bring it about by thinking they can do certain things that would make it happen. Peter says we need to be patient and understand that patience that we see in God and, and not ending the world right away is, is part of his salvific plan, that he's doing it so that, that we can experience his salvation, 
We talked over the last few weeks about how we wouldn't even be here if God were impatient. We wouldn't have been born. Our, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents wouldn't have been here. What do we see over and over again in Scripture? For example, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here, Paul's talking about the same sort of thing. Notice we have these words here, forbearance and patience. And why? So it leads to repentance. Paul, maybe in a way that's a little bit wordier than what Peter's saying here, is saying the same thing Peter is. And so Peter's saying, yes, sometimes the things that Paul says are are complex, they're hard to digest, and, and maybe you've had that experience. But if, you, if you're struggling to understand something in Paul, don't just take somebody who says, well, this is exactly what Paul is saying and, and, and run with it. Don't go with whatever just affirms what you already think. What we all should do is go in and say, okay, let's see what the rest of God's word has to say on these matters. And as we do that, we find that we start to see a picture that holds together. Just a side note, this doesn't really go forward on this point, but I'd be remiss not to mention it. Notice that Peter does here appear to be referring to Paul's letters as Scripture. And and that's a really interesting thing, because Scripture affirms Scripture as a, a doctrine that we affirm. And here Peter is saying, those letters of Paul, they're Scripture. And while that doesn't directly address the point, because Peter isn't addressing modern-day critics necessarily here, it does address modern-day critics doing the very things that Peter's talking about. Because we, we see, for example, people today that will say, well, I want to believe what's really God's word, but all these letters of Paul, they don't really match what Jesus said. They don't really match these other parts of the Bible. I'm just going to rip them out and ignore them. If you can show me what I should do in a different part of Scripture, I'll listen, but, but not Paul. What's going on there? It's that sort of misinformation. It sounds good. Someone can make this case. Well, why should we listen to Paul? He was, you know, he didn't actually go and spend years with, with Jesus. And people start to suggest, for example, that maybe Peter and Paul were really at odds and there were these two camps in the church duking it out and and so on. Peter wants us to know, Paul's my brother in Christ. Paul's speaking God's wisdom. And in that, we see Peter standing against anyone over the coming years and in the millennia ahead, who would try to rip apart Scripture. And likewise, we see people do that with other parts of the Bible. Maybe they say, well, the Old Testament, or some portion of the Old Testament. I'm just going to ignore that. It's outdated. But what we're called to do is to stand firm for God's truth. But when we hear all these things, all these different people calling us different ways and pulling at us, we we struggle. We struggle to know what we should believe. We talked about doubt last night. We start to have doubts. What am I going to do? When we find ourselves in that place, we should come back to the things that Scripture says very clearly over and over again. And if you ever had that creeping doubt, well, how do I know if this part of what we call the Bible is really the Bible? Here's what I find is so incredibly helpful. Whatever you're struggling with, go and start to look at the rest of the Scripture, and, and you will find inevitably that Scripture affirms Scripture, that if you're trying to wrestle through what Peter's saying here, go read Paul. If you're trying to understand what Paul's saying, go read what Jesus says in the Gospels. Over and over again, we see a unity to the scriptures where God, since he inspired it, yes, there might be different historical circumstances, different audiences, but God keeps saying the same important things over and over again. 
But when all this stuff's going on around us, what do we do? We start to lose our footing. I noticed a number of weeks back on a Sunday night, uh, no one would ever accuse me of being a musician, but since we don't have anyone to play percussion, I, I play the the cajon as, as you know, if you've watched a Sunday night service. And so I noticed a, few, a number of weeks back, uh, Bill Clugston mentioned in the chat, he asked, why does Tim look so serious? He looks really down as he's playing. And here's the, the simple answer to that. I'm not very good at it and I can lose the beat really easily. So what do I need to do if I want to stay on and not throw everybody off? I need to keep all my focus on it. The moment that my mind wanders, if I start thinking, oh, and you know, I, I need to, to look like I'm more into to, um, singing the song. Well, I can't even begin to sing the song while I'm doing it. Uh, I need to do this or that, or I start to think about what comes next in the service or whatever. I am going to be in trouble. I, I have to keep my mind on razor focus or I'm just going to wander off. That's what we do in our reading of God's word too. We're, we're None of us are good at actually keeping what God has called us to. None of us are, are good at keeping the truth fully. And so as God calls us and we're hitting that beat a little bit at a time, imperfectly, but we're hitting it, the temptation starts to be as we hear all these other things that are confusing us, all these other things that are calling our attention away from it, to try to do two things at once. And when you do that, you run into the same problem that I do if I let myself do that on Sunday night. My mind wanders a little, and that's bad news. Peter here is saying, keep your focus where it really needs to be. And if we think about this whole series on anticipation, why do we talk about what's coming? So we keep our focus where it needs to be. And that, that's true with information that's pulling us off. And where does that information come from? It comes from people who are trying to pull us away from the truth. And so Peter says, not just be on the lookout for false information so you don't lose the beat. Be on watch for people who are offbeat to begin with and are trying to throw you offbeat. Because rogue people can do that, not just rogue information. And we see that in verses 16 and 17. Peter goes on, but as he's talking about these false teachers, but was rebuked. Oh, this is chapter 2. This should be chapter 3. So I'm just going to take this off screen. See, sometimes technology throws us off as well, especially when a human operator gets distracted like myself. But what do we find here in verse 16? As he's talking about Paul's letters, he says that there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they have other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You see, we need to be in the world. We need to speak the truth into the world. But the problem is when we when we go from, okay, there's disinformation out there. We live in a misinformation age. We need to deal with that to the point where our anticipation isn't so much, what's God doing it? And where does he want me focused? But how can I make sure to set straight those people who are wrong out there? And there's an awful lot of people who are wrong out there. They're calling us alongside them to go correct the people they think are wrong. And we can get wrapped up in that. God doesn't want us to do that. Should we stand for the truth? Should we speak up if someone asks a question? Absolutely. But, but we can get way overly fascinated in this, and it can be deeply, deeply unhealthy. I would bet many of us, if not most of us, run into that at some point. We see here that, that Peter has encountered are, are people who have twisted Paul to, to mean whatever they want. 
One of the challenges with Paul's letters is that they are often very complex in their wording. And so what can people do with that? They say, well, this really means this. And they, they take it in a completely different direction than the rest of Scripture. They take it in a completely different direction than what Paul clearly meant by everything else we know about him. And then they insist on it. And they say, well, don't you believe Scripture? Peter himself could speak from experience on this, that, that he could get carried away and end up with Scripture being twisted in his own way of living. We, we know from Paul at times that, that Peter would, would end up separating from the, the Gentile believers, even though God had even given him a vision to, to minister to the Gentiles, because he'd get pulled back into the Judaizers who, who said, well, maybe everyone needs to become Jewish before they become Christian. We know that earlier, even though Peter was with Jesus himself and Jesus had told him exactly what was going to happen, Peter thought he knew better. And that leads into his denial of Jesus. Peter could speak from experience. And I think that's empowering what Peter is saying here. He, he knows what it's like. He doesn't want that to happen to the people whom he's ministering to, whom he loves. He wants them to be okay. He wants us to be okay. And so he's saying, here's the key. Keep your eyes on what God is doing. Keep your eyes on how his plan of salvation actually works. And if we're doing that, it changes how we approach so much that the world calls us to. Helps us to start to decode what's happening around us in a very different way. Not in the, I found the secret code to predict the end of the world, but I understand how this fallen world is continuing to be fallen. And I understand my own temptations. I understand the temptations of others. I'm going to analyze it all through the grid of exactly what God says is important, which isn't foretelling the end of the world, incidentally, because Jesus says we can't do it. That's a pretty good indication. But telling everyone right now that God has come into the world, we don't have to foretell. We can say that has already happened because he loves us. He loves everyone and he wants them to know his gospel. It's a very different thing. We need to decode with the right means. I was reading a few weeks ago about some scrolls that were discovered in Pompeii that were being filled out or had already been filled out at the time of the eruption. And they found these actually several centuries ago and wanted to know what they said, because wouldn't everyone like to know a little bit more about what was going on in Pompeii of all places? Fascinating disaster. It's one of those things like a, like the Titanic or, or some of these other just earth shattering moments in history where where we just want to soak up more about what's going on about it. Can you imagine being those people and the volcano erupts and you're buried under that ash? So we're fascinated by this stuff and how much more fascinating could it be than to have scrolls that were being written by the very people who had become victims of the volcano. However, when they found them several centuries ago, they started to try to open them up and they realized they just disintegrated as they tried to open them. Thankfully, instead of just continuing to do so, thinking, well, there's nothing to lose, they set them aside for a day when someone could figure out how to get the information in them. Those people that did that didn't get to see what they anticipated. They didn't get to see it for centuries, the, the various scholars that would have seen these set-aside scrolls over time. However, with the advances of modern technology, someone came up with the idea of using various imaging technology to, to shoot um, CAT scans and, and x-rays, and I think they've used several different kinds, through these scrolls and to gather the information in the scrolls. Although as you're going through all these layers, it's, it's jumbled. It isn't just a straightforward thing to read. So someone started a challenge to see if someone could come up with technology using all this AI and machine learning that's out there now to figure out what these scrolls said. And a 21-year-old computer science student named Luke Farator 
came up with the way to do it. He was able to decode for the very first time a word from one of these scrolls. Happens to be the word purple. It doesn't tell us a whole lot yet, but his technique and how he approached it gives hope that maybe even by the end of this year, these scrolls would start to be meaningfully decoded. Now, if he does that, he has something to anticipate, a, a, a prize. There's actually a cash prize for doing this, but all of us can anticipate learning a little bit more about what happened in Pompeii. It took patience, though. It took forbearance not to rip these scrolls open. And finally, it allowed the, the truth to start to be revealed, and, and we know that's now coming on this. So it is with the plan of God. If we look to the right solution, if we, we look with patience when it's not clear how God is working, we still know something that, that Luke, the computer science student, didn't know about this scroll. We already know the answer. We know the answer is Jesus, that Jesus is the one that's going to make everything right. We just don't know, as we peer at this scroll still wrapped up of the history of the world, how much is still in it, or how it's exactly going to work, or what to do with everything going on around us with wars and rumors of wars. But we know there's Jesus. We have something better than AI and X-ray imaging. We have Jesus. Verse 18. Peter, in his very last words in the last letter we have from him, says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As Peter is going to leave these people with the last words they're going to hear from him, he has a choice in, in telling them what they should remember him with. What it is that was the most important thing that he was still going to say to them? What does he say? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Give him glory right now and the day of eternity to come. It's not any more complex than that. All the people that... that we're coming with alleged answers, coming to decode Paul, coming to decode even what Peter had said, coming to decode what Jesus had said. They were using all these things where they're trying to essentially rip open those scrolls and they were destroying them. They're destroying the lives of the people. Peter says, focus on Jesus. We should be anticipating his return. But the key part of anticipating Jesus's return isn't to understand exactly how it's going to happen, not to connect the world events to know if this piece is going to move like this to end the world or, or bring in uh, the, the final epic battle or anything like that. What is it that's important to know as we anticipate Jesus? Jesus is. We're not anticipating how to write a novel. We're anticipating salvation. And, and so what do we do now? What does Peter say here as he ends this letter? He says, live like Jesus, study Jesus, know Jesus. That's truly the answer. Just like, again, as we were talking about doubt last night. It's not about knowing something, it's about knowing someone. And that's what we're called to do. And then we stand on the truth. We stand on the truth that is in the, the lens of Jesus. As we look at God's word, we affirm things because we know it speaks of Jesus. And when we use God's word in a way that doesn't speak of Jesus... We hear other people use God's word to advance themselves, but they aren't speaking the message of the gospel. Let's run from that. And in our own hearts, let's purify ourselves from that. Let's ask God's spirit to, to help us with that. And then let's go and study him more. Let's glorify him more. And realize the thing we need to tell him to a world that's hurting and confused and in the midst of everything that's going on is really, really simple. It's not complex. It doesn't require a special decoder ring. Simply this, 
Jesus loves us. Jesus died for us. Jesus is going to come and return for us. That's what we can rest in. He's the one that we anticipate. So when we talk about anticipation, let's anticipate Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to anticipate your second coming, but not in the way of so many, the way that we're tempted to do. How's this going to end? How's it going to exactly work? Who's going to move where? What, what empire will rise or fall? Let's not do that. Help us just to anticipate you. To anticipate what you are doing in our lives and in the lives of others and in the work of your church. Because here's what we know, Lord. You've made it very clear to us how you love us and that you have taken on our sin and you've called us to follow you. Lord, would you help us to do that today and every day until you return? And in our, our deeds and our thoughts to glorify you now and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. And if it was, would you please give us a like or a share? Follow our social media channels on YouTube, Facebook, Mastodon, X, uh, Instagram. We would love to connect with you. And then please share things like this video. You could help us to get the word out so more people can learn about what we truly anticipate, where our hope really is. We've been talking about hope, talking about anticipation, but also talking about, for example, last night about doubt. And sometimes those things kind of feel jarring together. How do I have hope in this moment? Why do I have doubt? Because I'm not sure why things are going the way they are. Sometimes it's even we know it's in our own doing. We know that we are the reason things aren't going well. And yet we still wonder, well, now what's God going to do? Our next series on Monday nights, we're going to turn to Psalm 6 for a series entitled, How Long? And in that, David comes before the Lord knowing that God has reason to be angry with him. And yet he cries out for God's mercy and he cries out, How long, Lord? How long do I have to be separated from you and your love? And I think when we talk about how to process hope, how to process uncertainty, how to process doubt, this helps so much to think about because we find very reassuring words in Psalm 6. And I hope you'll join me at 7 p.m. next Monday for that. Don't forget also, we're going to continue that series, I've Got a Problem, talking about the things that often cause us to cry out how long on Sunday nights. This week, we are thinking about anxiety. And so I hope you'll join me at 5.30 p.m. Join us for worship in person or online this Sunday at Little Hills. In the meantime, if there's anything that I can be praying for you for, any anything that you're feeling uncertain about or shaken about, any thing in, in this world or in your life, in the lives of those around you, you can shoot a text at the texting line on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It is great to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And though the series anticipation is over, I anticipate seeing you next Monday as we begin the series How Long. Have a great week.